Welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, and all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 65th episode of the podcast for the week of August 12th, 2019. So let's break it down a bit. Here's what to expect. The goal is to help guide and prepare you for the utmost awareness of the energy in the moment. For if you use the energy consciously, it has a better chance of working for you. I'll kick off the show with a weekly astro report, along with a few tarot polls and our Animal Ambassador of the Week. Then a guest will join me in conversation around a chosen topic. And this week, I'm so happy to welcome back professional astrologer and tarot practitioner Akila Moon to the podcast. And we're going to have a discussion on relationships and the outer planets. So before we get started here, please remember, as always, take what resonates and leave the rest, because only you know you best. So thank you so much for joining me here today. And if you'd like to show appreciation for my work and get early Sunday access to the podcast for as little as one per month, you can do so over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. I also have a tip jar on the front page of my website uh, if you want to make a one-time donation. And you can find that over at energeticprinciples.com. So let's get down to this week's astro report. Our lunar lady starts out the week waxing and growing in light in the practical earth of Capricorn before she heads into the innovative airs of Aquarius on Tuesday. She will hang out there through the middle of the week as she heads towards her full moon opposition in the sign of the water bearer in the early hours of Thursday. Later that evening, she will glide into the psychically sensitive waters of Pisces and where she will spend most of the weekend until moving into the cardinal fires of Aries on Sunday. So just a quick heads up, all time approximations are for North America. So if you live in Europe, at about eight hours. And if you are in Australia or the East, at about 17 hours, or basically the following day. And keep in mind that timing isn't always precise, as astrological transits, otherwise known as the connections that planets make to one another, have varied emphasis as they apply and separate. So it's quite possible to feel the energy sooner or later than the exact moment of contact. All right, my friends. Well, this week we have the Sun and Venus meeting in conjunction to start a new leg of their synodic cycle. We also have that full moon in Aquarius that is going to take place right as Mercury trines Chiron and squares Uranus. And then at the end of the week, we have Mars moving out of Leo and ingressing into Virgo. So let us waste no time and dive right in. On Monday, we start out the week with the moon in Capricorn, and she will make a conjunction to Saturn, a sextile to Neptune, and then a conjunction to Pluto. So the bottom line for Monday is, is that we start off the week under the productive energy of the Capricorn moon, yet it may be a little slow going with that morning sextile to Neptune. Yet within that permeable energy, we can tap into our daydreams in a practical way that allows us to bring heaven to earth. And there is a serious and transformative tone to the day as the moon conjuncts Pluto and we find ourselves transmuting emotional energy into a source of empowerment. 
Now, on Tuesday, the moon moves into Aquarius, and she will make an opposition to Mercury and then a square to Uranus. Also of note, on Tuesday, we have the sun meeting Venus in conjunction. And so let's talk about that real quick. Uh, So we have the sun, you know, this is our life force, our vitality, our conscious awareness, uh, and where we essentially turn a page. And of course, conjunctions are always about new cycles. You know, the energies are merging together to become one and to start something uh, fresh. And so what is the sun starting fresh with? And that is Venus, who Venus is our principle of relationship relating, relationships, uh, what we value, what we want to balance and harmonize in our lives, and what we want to attract and uh, draw in. Um, So here we have a new stage of the Venus cycle beginning as our goddess of love meets up with the sun to make her superior conjunction at 21 degrees and 11 minutes of Leo. And so our senses will be stimulated and our instincts will awaken to help us decipher what we desire to draw in and fixate on in this next 11-month cycle. And in addition, we will also know what repels us and what we desire to push away from, as we will be very aware of what holds value to our heart, because this is happening in Leo. And this is a very heart-centered and creation-oriented Venusian awareness that is fusing her magical harmonies with the vital awareness of the sun, and the sun in its own sign nonetheless. And so this is a powerful conjunction, most certainly, as Venus first squared the liberating energy of Uranus, and then trined the growth-oriented energy of Jupiter last week. So this was basically setting the stage for this conjunction to be made. And so we will feel the push and pull as we are drawn into some things and then pushed away from others. And that magnetic force will be high as we resonate and harmonize with, you know, whatever is coming into greater focus for us because that sun helps us focus that energy. And so we will either go with a desire or resist the force that is drawing us in. So it's kind of that push-pull like a magnet. Now, Venus is moving at her fastest and is farthest from Earth at this time. And so you may actually want to look back to October 26th of 2018, around around that date, to see what was seeding at that time when Venus made her inferior conjunction with the Sun while she was retrograde and she was the closest uh, to Earth at that time. And so you may find that some of what was drawn in at that time is now taking uh, a turn of sorts. So you might want to look back if you journal. So the bottom line for Tuesday is is that there is a detached and futuristic vibe in the air now that our lunar lady is in the innovative airs of Aquarius. And this is likely to be a day of increased communication as the moon opposes Mercury and then the sun is also meeting uh, Venus in conjunction in in what is a unifying aspect and a relational aspect. Now there may be some excitement in the air as our upcoming Uranus transit gets triggered with that square from a nearly full moon, because keep in mind, our full moon is waxing right now. So this day may have an unpredictable vibe to it. And as we emotionally connect to our individuality and are, are driven to free up and liberate some static or stuck energy, we can kind of expect the unexpected and the potential for some constructive disruption to take place.
Now, on Wednesday, the moon is still in Aquarius, but will make a sextile to Jupiter. And so the bottom line for Wednesday is, is that the full moon is waxing to fullness today, uh, or like really starting to heat up and, and, and get her, you know, that light behind her. And so this day is likely to feel expansive and feel full of possibilities as Luna connects to a supportive sextile with Jupiter in Sagittarius. And the big picture gets clearer and we are inspired by what lies on the horizon which is always nice. So I think this is going to be a very clarifying day. And so airing things out with friends or people of uh, like mind can help us swirl ideas around and gain new perspective on where we are headed. So, you know, you might want to consider being uh, social midweek. Now, Thursday, we do have the full moon in Aquarius, uh, which happens at 529 a.m. Pacific time. But then the moon will move into Pisces uh, later in the evening, around almost 9 p.m. here on the Pacific coast. And along the way, she will oppose the sun, which is our full moon, of course. She will oppose Venus and then oppose Mars. So a couple things are happening on Thursday. Of course, we have our full moon at 22 degrees and 24 minutes of Aquarius perfecting. But we also have Mercury making a trine to Chiron and then a square to Uranus, which actually the square to Uranus perfects early Friday morning. But we're going to put all this together to paint a bigger picture. So let us start with that full moon in Aquarius. So here we have a full moon in the perspective expanding and humane sign of Aquarius. And I consider this to be a fortunate lunation with the moon in opposition to the sun and Venus, who are still in a bi-degree Kazemi conjunction in Leo. And we can see the bigger picture around our own personal heart-centered needs and where that fits in within the greater whole of the collective and our future trajectory. As the moon looks to Saturn in Capricorn, this is likely to be a decisive full moon as we see the grander perspective of our place within it all and what we have to contribute to society and the groups and friendships that we run with. And if there have been any hiccups in relating, I think there will be an objective resolution taking place now that more, you know, now that we have more information and we have new thoughts on the matter that we can air out uh, with others. Uh, So stay tuned to hear Akilah's take on the lunation and feel free to check out my article over on my astro blog to hear more of my thoughts. And that should be up um, probably about uh, maybe about a day before the full moon. You can find that at energeticprinciples.com. Now, all right, so we have Mercury also squaring Uranus and trining Chiron at this time, which definitely plays into this full moon as well. So Mercury, you know, we're looking at the planet that's all about our perception uh, and information and communications and learning uh, and news or emails or calls that come in. Uh, And here we have it in a square to Uranus and a trine to Chiron. So first, that square to Uranus. Squares are always eventful. They're challenging us in some way. There's a friction. There's action taking place. Um, And so that is happening with Uranus, which, of course, Uranus is that planet that is awakening us to something where there might be some sudden storms because we need to liberate or free up our energy and shake off some energetic debris. And so that can bring some unexpected change and kind of fast uh, paced things that happen. But that Mercury is also trining Chiron. And so trines are all about no obstacles. Things are flowing. All boundaries are removed. And with Chiron, this is about 
uh, where, you know, we might be triggered with certain things in our life or kind of painful uh, things that just kind of sit on ice, triggers. But we have the opportunity to heal them or to gain wisdom from what comes up. And so, so basically the trine to Chiron happens on Thursday after the full moon, and then we have that square on Friday, uh, early Friday taking place. So here we have our Mercury, you know, our planet of perception being the last planet to tap into this double configuration. Because first we had Mars uh, the week of July 8th uh, that tapped into both of these planets. And then the Sun and Venus the week of July 29th did that same configuration. So now Mercury comes around to help the intellect understand and communicate our heart-centered inspirations by being assertive and turning a corner on our projects and general realities here on the physical plane. And sure, there may be a bit of an excitable force that is out and about, and who knows, you know, what news may come in or conversations will be had at this time. Yet I think there is a magic at play that is helping us cut through to greater clarity so we can use our manifestation powers accordingly. Now, we may have to give up one thing to pursue another, because that can happen with squares, uh, and especially with Chiron. Sometimes we have to make decisions that, uh, you know, that can be a little painful because there is, a, you know, a loss and a gain. Um, and that could take, you know, our own self-directed initiative to do so, you know, because Chiron is in Aries. And that may be where some of the tension lies in this transit. Yet I have a feeling it is unavoidable and is a necessary part of our stories moving forward. So the bottom line for Thursday is, is that I have a feeling this will be a day of heightened awareness as Luna makes multiple oppositions from Aquarius and we are socially wearing our hearts and our conscious intentions on our sleeves. We are getting many angles on the bird's eye view of our lives and this detached awareness can help bring much into focus at this time. Energy will slow and chill in the night as Luna moves into Pisces and returns to a more sensitive space and where we will move forward from a place of greater emotional investment. So we go from detachment to attachment, basically, with the moon. Now, on Friday, the moon is in Pisces, and she will make a sextile to Uranus. So the bottom line for Friday is, is that that Mercury-Uranus square perfects in the morning right as the moon makes a sextile to Uranus. So if there was mental or communicative tension on Tuesday when the moon was squaring Uranus, there is now resolution and opportunity to come from that friction. And so there is a strong intuitional vibe in the air, and we have significant sensations coming in that are leaving breadcrumbs of awareness to follow. And it may feel a little lower in energy, you know, because this is a moon in Pisces, and there may, uh, you know, be a bit of uh, spacing out, daydreaming, or kind of a retiring vibe at play. So don't push yourself too hard on Friday. Now, on Saturday, the moon is still in Pisces and will make a square to Jupiter, a sextile to Saturn, and then a conjunction to Neptune. Oh, and don't forget that sextile to Pluto. So the moon is doing some things on Saturday. But also on Saturday, we have the Mars uh, we have Mars ingressing into Virgo, uh, which actually happens here at 10, 19 p.m. Pacific time. So depending on where you are in the world, this might be happening on Sunday for you. So let's talk about Mars moving into Virgo here. Who is ready to get some things done? 
I know I am. <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to this transit. Because basically, Warrior Mars will be the first planet to cruise into the down-to-earth practicality of Virgo, and we will start to feel our action energy reorient itself into the details of day-to-day existence. So since July 1st, Mars has been moving through fiery Leo, and our energy was wrapped up in matters of the heart, while also stabilizing creative desires. Now with this shift into mutable Earth energy, we can get to work solidifying that fire in the real world. And it'll be a very productive Virgo period as Mars trines into Uranus and Taurus, and then Saturn and Pluto and Capricorn, with the rest of the personal planets following the warrior's lead soon enough. So this period would be a wise time to put energy behind cleaning up and clearing out, uh, you know, the physical aspects of life that need purification, along with finding solutions and fixes for parts of our life that have fallen into disrepair. So if you've been waiting to clear out that garage or to do some type of cleanse, you know, the planets will be aligning for this. So clean up and clear out as we adapt our energy to align with greater purpose while working with the nitty-gritty details of what we are manifesting in the physical world. Working smarter, not harder, will be key. So we will have Mars in Virgo until October 3rd. So the bottom line for Saturday is is that here we have another moon in Pisces day, and that conjunction to Neptune in the morning is likely to lower our energy in ways that we may just want to escape into a good movie or book or head to the beach or pool for a lazy day dip. You know, there's it's going to be a little bit uh, <laughs> a little bit low key. Now later in the day that sextile to Pluto can bring some productive intensity and there may be some tension or drama as Mars crosses that 29 degree Leo threshold before moving into Virgo later in the day. So watch for potential tests around your action energy on Saturday. Now, on Sunday, the moon is now in Aries and actually makes no aspects um, this day, or at least from a North America perspective. And so the bottom line for Sunday is that the fires alight as our lunar lady moves into the enthusiasm of Aries. And there are no aspects taking place, so this will be a great day to kind of just go with the flow, pick the low-hanging fruit, and connect with an inspirational force that is prodding us for new starts and fresh energy so that we can kind of roll with that vibe once Monday comes around. Now, if any irritation arrives, spend some time solo to get your bearings and emotionally connect with the needs of the self in a healthy way. So, all right. Well, to wrap it all up here, this week the energy is apexing to conclusions and fresh starts as we push off of a freshly direct Jupiter in Sagittarius and apex towards our future potentials with that full moon in Aquarius. We are fixated on our heart's desires, and as values are clarified, we can communicate these fresh understandings to the world around us. Okay, so let's take a look at the cards because they always add a little bit more to what we're talking about this week. And so this week I drew the world as the focus and the Ten of Cups as the grounding. Now with the world as the focus, I just love how this card came up 
while we have the Sun and Venus meeting in a superior conjunction and a full moon in Aquarius taking place. The world signifies that this week has things coming full circle as we start to see the big picture of how everything is going to play out, while also finding a sense of wholeness and unity within the current chapter of our stories. We can find closure to move into a new phase, and we'll find that a lot of things are wrapping up in completion at this time. I consider this one of the best cards in the deck, as ideally it represents a state of fulfillment. So I'm hoping that we will find ourselves one step closer to finding our place in the world world. Now, this card also represents travel, so if you aren't already on holiday, consider getting out and about to enjoy the scenery. Now, with the Ten of Cups as the grounding, this too signifies that there is a transition taking place as both the world and the Ten speak of energy that is shifting and moving out of one cycle and ready to begin the next. Now, luckily, the Ten of Cups signifies that we are in a happy or harmonious environment with the support from our friends and our loved ones, which can bring great happiness to our lives and an emotional energy that allows for a sense of fulfillment through community. It's also quite possible that you may find that you are wrapping up old cycles of effort so that you may align with the changing sense of where you fit in with this world, as there is a new emotional connection to what the heart values and where you desire quality of life. So flow with these changes uh, that are taking place, you know, because these changing tides um, are a moving. So pat yourself on the back for, you know, making it this far. (laughs) I really love these cards together. So I'm really looking forward to this. Now, last but certainly not least, this show is brought to you by this week's animal ambassador, the gorilla. Hey, the gorilla's loose. How funny that our friend the gorilla is back. Just two weeks ago, this primate made an appearance and has decided to make yet another one with the message that we need to listen to our loved ones and take the time to connect with our friends and family. This too makes so much sense as Venus and the Sun meet in conjunction and we have that full moon taking place. This week is about bonding with others, whether it is a one-on-one or in a group environment. And the energy is helping foster community and support all around us. We have all been changing quite dramatically over the past few months, so it is good to come back and check in to see where others are at. And by listening intently to one another, rather than making it all about ourselves, Leo Energy, I see you, (laughs) we can see where everyone is coming from and gain a wider perspective around the events taking place. So reach out, lend a shoulder, and open your ears, for we can learn a lot about each other and find the warmth of connection in the process. All right, my friends. Well, you know, new offerings on my Patreon this week. The first episode will air of my Astro Story Time. So it will be airing on August 14th. And I'm so excited to share, uh, you know, some charts and some things that I observe in the celestial skies with you. Uh, and I hope that you're excited too. So if you want to find out more about that, it is a subscription for $6 a month, uh, which will have a 30 to 45 minute video that will air around mid-month that is sharing astrological stories and looking at charts and seeing how I break down a chart. Um, And also, I do have my $3 show notes option that is now available. So if you want the 
forecast that I uh, provide to come in written form so you can refer to it uh, throughout the week or even if you don't have time to listen to the podcast, you can also uh, get that on my Patreon for $3 a month. And if you want it all, you can have that for $8 a month. So consider checking that out because I'm really excited about it and I hope you are too. So to find out more, you can uh, check things out at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Okay, now let's meet our guest. All right, I am so happy to welcome back this week's special guest. We have Akila Moon. Thank you for joining me, Akila. Hi, Melissa. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really happy to be talking about this topic today. Yep. <laughs> she brought, when Akila comes on, I, there's always like a, we somehow get into the relationship bent, which is not really my forte, for, but we're all in relationships every day, right? No matter, <laughs> with significant others, friendships, uh, you know, office relationships, whatever. So it is a very important topic, but she approached me about doing relationships in the outer planets, right? You know, <laughs> a lot of meat there for sure. Um, so I'm so happy to have her back. If you remember from earlier, Earlier in March, we actually did a program on uh, natal retrogrades that was very well received. Um, and so definitely check that out if you had missed that prior. But before we get started here, Akila, uh, remind folks, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Akila. Hello, everybody listening, everybody watching, and everybody else out there in the universe that's tuning in. <laughs> I'm an astrologer, tower reader, uh, intuitive. I have Pluto on my ascendant and I'm Scorpio rising. So astrology comes very natural to me. I've been doing this for over like 15 years now. Uh, I'm a professional astrologer now for over 10 years. I've had this business. Uh, You can watch me on any type of uh, social media or podcast that has the name Akila Astrology or Akila Moon. Um, Yeah, that's about it. Okay, well, this begs the question, since I've been asking everybody that's been coming on the podcast recently, about what sparked your interest in astrology? Like, what was your entry point? Like, how old were you? What was like, oh, what's this? What was your story there? Okay, um, astrology found me, really. I I was living in Brooklyn, uh, New York. I was like, maybe preteen, I think. And I, I met a woman that asked me my birthday and I told her my birthday. She goes, Oh, you're so you're a Scorpio. And I was like, I remember my ears just went up. I can literally move my ears. Like my ears went like this. <laughs> and I was like, what? Why do I feel like this thing that she just told me just hit my soul, you know? And then I remember going home and going to the library and like researching like Scorpio, looking at dates and times. And I just got obsessed. Uh, with the number system of astrology because I was very mathematical, you know? Um, I couldn't really speak very well because I'm also a Pluto conjunct Mercury. So I was in a different country, three different languages were in my head and I could only speak mathematics. So it was very, astrology just kind of was, it was kind of just hit me. It found me, I fell in love with it. It fell in love with me and we've been together ever since. And I've been helping myself, my family and clients ever since, to be very honest. And I couldn't, change it for the world. I'm also a teacher, a fourth grade teacher. I work with kids after school programs with them. I've been working with kids for a long time. I'm moon conjunct Mars native, um, Aries moon. So I'm very, very playful. Even I'm a Scorpio sun. I'm like, I like to live life very uh, progressively. So this is what I try to help my clients understand about their energy too when I work with them. How do you live according to your natural energy will? 
You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. important. That is yeah. that is definitely important. Otherwise, we're going against the grain, essentially. Um, yeah. So, oh, I love that story because th- this is what I'm noticing as I'm noticing that people, a lot of people uh, get the first hit around their uh, first Jupiter return, you know, yeah. early preteen. And I also noticed that so many people are initiated into it from some... Yeah one else or some type of outside experience, which I mean, makes a lot of sense. You know, we have to become aware of something, but that seems to always be the case. Like it wasn't like, oh, I just found this. It was like, oh, something led me here or someone said this. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, what's this? And so, yeah, I love that. That, yeah. Well, my Jupiter, my Jupiter is in Gemini. So um, I, I read a lot, but my Jupiter's retrograde in Gemini. So I retain a lot of information. I'm constantly observing with my eyes and with my senses, you know, my, my antennas. Uh, so, and my eighth house is, is, is uh, ruled by Gemini. So I love, this is like, I love this stuff. It's something, I would rather talk to someone about something like astrology than talk to them about what they ate for breakfast. I don't really care, you know, like, <laughs> unless we're doing a chart that has to do with uh, some type of, um, Uranus and six house transit going on. Then we talk about your food, okay? But other than that, <laughs> well, thing, you know? well, it makes a lot of sense though, because I mean, both Aquila and myself were both Scorpio risings. And um, I mean, I use the whole sign system. And so for all Scorpio risings, you'd be looking at uh, an eighth house Gemini. And so Scorpio, yeah. you know, we're deep just in, in general. And so of course, here you get to that deep house of the eighth house and these, you know, can wear kind of a cultish or like super, <laughs> you know, more in-depth and serious matters of life can live. And of course, Gemini is there uh, with the energy to talk about it or to converse about it or, you know, and so, and so either people are going to go there with you, like people have been waiting for this conversation for so long and they're so th- thankful. <laughs> and then other people are just like, oh, this is too much for me. <laughs> yes, that's usually the reaction I've always gotten uh, from people. And when I was younger, I didn't understand that. And really, honestly, through studying astrology, that I understood the my energetic makeup, what kind of energy I can stir in other people if I don't control it, or if it's not well balanced and things like that. So you also learn um, tools with astrology on how to align your energy, you know, so that other people's energy fields won't won't affect you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, well, actually, we're going to be kind of talking about uh, other energy fields and how we interact with those uh, with the topic of relationships in outer planets. And I loved this topic that she brought to me. Um, But before we kind of get into the outer planet business of it, I find it very interesting that we're going to be talking about this on an episode that airs with a full moon. And so here we have this upcoming Aquarius full moon um, after, you know, our first full moon after we got out of the lunar eclipse season. And so a lot has happened here. Uh, we have a Sun-Venus conjunction this week as well, which is so relationship oriented as, you know, too. And so I, Akila, what are your thoughts on this upcoming uh, full moon and maybe even the Sun-Venus conjunction? Just some quick words. Honestly, Melissa, I'm freaking loving this full moon. I love Aquarius energy. I'm very Aquarian. I have Aquarius in the second house. So for me, this is a value system moon for me. It makes it really changes a lot of things. The fact that the moon is going to be opposite, you know, Venus, the sun, Mars, to me already shows me that, okay, so your needs and relationships are definitely going to be uh, a big part of this moon. But I think it also has to deal with, you know, like, because it's Leo and Aquarius, right? And that's, you know, Leo is that, 
me, myself, and I energy. And Aquarius is that that whole energy. So I think this moon really has to deal with uh, community, togetherness, and even even being not just in a romantic way, but just feeling like you're in a place where you are around people that uh, you feel that are supportive of you or or with someone that's supportive of you, because this is a relationship to me. Leo is all about that heart space, you know? So are you with the people you really love? I mean, if not, I feel like this moon will show a lot of people that energy. Um, if you are, I feel like it will also kind of magnify it um, or even test it to see if this is what you want long-term as well, right? Because this Mercury retrograde is the shadows practically almost done around this, uh, this mm-hmm. moon. And uh, we're also, like you said, we rounded up this whole eclipse in Leo and Aquarius energy. So you should know by this time with this moon what it is that you want. You know what I mean? You've had a big, like people had some rocky storms during these eclipses. So I think this moon is going to be the illumination of community, whether it's the community you want to be in or whether this community you want to start or people you want to be around, the world you want to live in, you know, I think, or the, the way you want to think even, you know, Aquarius is the mind, the higher mind. So, you know, how can you elevate yourself? Maybe changing uh, even the people around you that maybe you can uh, have uh, different conversations or connect with them on a mental level differently. That could be something as well, you know? Yeah. And I, I think those are great points, especially with the fact that, I don't know if you've noticed this lately. And of course, we haven't quite gotten to the full moon because we, we record this early. But uh-huh. this is the week that we're recording this. We have all the Jupiter trines and we just have basically just a pile up in Leo. And <clears throat> I don't know if it's my own Leo planets or <laughs> the fact that like, I'm, I'm having a really hard time sometimes just hearing everyone talk about themselves like incessantly, like any conversation I've had, I'm like, is this payback for my whole, my Leo Mercury life? Like is everybody just getting back and I can't get it worded edgewise. So I'm just listening to people and their own problems and their own things. And I'm like, and I'm wondering if this full moon is going to get to a point where we've had just so much of inundating about what our own needs are and our own, what our own heart is saying, which is very important. Don't get me wrong. But how does that work within, you know, the, the people that we're interacting with or in society or in certain groups? We, we just had a group dynamic that kind of blew up <laughs> the, the other night. Um, and so that speaks to this upcoming full moon, at least in my life. And so, yeah, I, I, it's interesting because it's really heavy Leo now and I'm seeing it uh, everywhere. And I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Have you noticed that at all? I love, I love that you brought that actually up. Um, Leo is all about the self, right? So yes, I have noticed there has been a lot of selfish energy around a lot of people, but I think this is good because it's it's allowing other people to see how they're not being selfish. Mm. And it's also allowing those people that are selfish to see maybe how they are being selfish because people are going to point that out to you. I know that with this energy, people are going to tell you how they feel about your selfishness, or they're going to tell you about how they, or, or that you're going to say how you feel about maybe not being selfish yourself and giving too much to other people. Yeah. To the point, I feel like uh, as astrologers too, like, we do kind of have that antenna to hear what's going on. It, it, whether we want to or not, we're going to hear it because every information that comes to us helps us understand what's happening with the energy that's flowing in these charts. So uh, I do think that the selfish energy right now is good because it's allowing us to see what, what the fuck do I want? You know what I mean? And and maybe some people might not be able to handle that. Maybe that's when people need to step back, you know, and uh, allow their son to have some time alone, you know, because Leo is that self. 
be alone, figure out what you need. You don't need to ask another person or complain to another person. Mm -hmm. Focus on you for a moment. Be your own light. Like, you know, Leo literally is the sun. It literally gives us everything we need, the energy. So we don't need another person really to complain to or tell our selfish stories. Just focus that energy on you and then magnify that outward, you know, to that Aquarian energy, to the world. You know, that's when you can share it properly. You know, once you've had it more aligned with your, with your ego and your spirit, I feel like this is a good time for that too for some people out there, you know? Yeah. 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 Totally agree with that. Feeling that myself for sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, interesting Leo season to say the least, but life is moving on. You know, that is definitely happening right now <laughs> in many ways. So let's get into these outer planets and how they interact with us on these relationship spheres. Speaking of other people, <laughs> um, it's, uh, so the outer planets just in, just in general, and we're going to be talking about Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto here. Um, there's, you know, there's different, there's so many different bodies out there that are beyond the steam, but we're just going to focus on these three today. Um, and so there, it's always interesting when they come into relationship factors and I can't even tell you how many times I've had someone like, look at this chart. And I'm like, Oh, I, <laughs> you know, you see one of those in there and, and you, you can get a flavor for the relationship or what's going to happen or the interaction that's there. Um, and it can be, um, a lot sometimes, but it is part of the soul's journey. So, uh, Akila, what, I mean, what are your, in your eyes, are the role of the outer planets, maybe in general or within relationships, or what do you see there? Oh, wow. So I love the other outer planets, number one. Uh, I chose to talk about relationships and outer planets because I'm a Venus and Libra native, late Libra, actually, literally 24 degrees. So I'm very perfectionist when it comes to relationships. I, I really like to understand why people are together. And I have uh, aspects to my Venus from outer planets like Uranus, Neptune, um, um, also Saturn. And, but we're going to talk about Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. So, and my Venus, uh, Pluto sits on my ascendant, which is a Scorpio rising, uh, opposing a uh, Taurus, which is Venus rising. So I have a strong outer planet relationship component in my, in my already chart field, my energy field. So outer planets to me uh, always uh, function as liberation, number one, because you need to learn what you want. And to learn what you want, you have to experiment a lot sometimes. <laughs> Uh, sometimes it's a uh, more of a a oneness. Where that's what would be Neptune to me, where you feel you're at one with uh, either everything or everyone around you. Where you're feeling all the emotions of your partner, you're feeling everything that person's going through, and then there's the psychological breakdown and then breakthrough, which I feel is Pluto. Every time Pluto's involved, you're gonna go through some deep dark shit just to kind of figure out what the hell is going on with me and this person or what, you know, projecting or, or what are we sharing with each other that is allowing this energy to kind of want action right now in my life. So outer planets for me make a very big, uh, I feel like relationships, some people can go through outer planet transits and their relationship gets stronger and other people go through outer planet relationship transits and the relationship breaks down. But for me, it's because that relationship was not really the, for that individual soul, you know? It wasn't for that person to continue. It was a lesson, mm -hmm. you know? A lot of people put a bad name on Uranus. And they say Uranus is like, oh, it's, you know, it's reckless. It's not faithful. It, it does all these crazy stuff. It's into pinky sex. But people forget, you know, like, yeah, it's true. People forget how faithful Uranus can be to the mind. <laughs> 
People forget how faithful Uranus can be to when it finds something that sees its mind and wants to actually initiate the same goals. Uranus is very faithful. Uranus can be more faithful to me than Saturn sometimes because it doesn't just it doesn't just stay in this world, Uranus, when it's faithful. It goes beyond with the person or the individual. And you find a lot of Uranus, like I said, we talked about this in the retrograde um, podcast in March. You find a lot of Uranus and uh, Uranian relationship people are very interested in people that think very different from society, what they're doing in society. That's <laughs> when these Uranian people really fall in love because they found something that's very, you know, unique and and having God and, and shiny, but also a shiny that not everybody can wear, you know, a shiny that not everybody can look at. And and they and they understand that about that soul. So I do find Uranus to be a very faithful energy, but there still has to be an electricity electricity factor going on, which is the mind. They have to keep on being stimulated by the native that they've attracted into their energy field by the mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, travel and exploration, things like that, you know? Um, yeah. My view on, on that, yeah. Well, Uranus, I mean, I can definitely speak to Uranus because, uh, well, that's kind of why I wanted to play on both uh, some of my own experiences and Akilah's as well, because she has Pluto on the ascendant and I have Uranus on the ascendant. And so uh, in, in many ways, we are, asked, we are acting as vessels of these outer planets. You know, we are, our personality is tied up in this. And so, I mean, you might relate with this about kind of being that force within connections with other people. Like you end up kind of playing that role. And so for me with Uranus on the ascendant, like, I'm not going to lie, you know, my, my teenage years, my twenties, you know, quick, they went quick (laughs) because this is the thing is like, there is that electricity Uranus and, you know, and it's very fixated too, especially for me having it in Scorpio. And so if I see something that I want, you know, I'm kind of electrically charged and I was going to go after that. But the thing with Uranus too, is that there is an instability component to it. And so Uranus, um, for people that have that heavy in their charts or with the relationship planets, or if that's connecting other people's planets, um, you know, vice versa, there can be a hot and cold factor that happens. And so the, the, the challenge with Uranus, at least for me kind of navigating it through my love life before I um, matured enough to know what it was I really wanted and found someone to resonate with, was that it was like a split night and day. Like one second, I'm like, this is great. You know, I'm feeling charged by it. And then the next day I'm like, you got to go. Like, <laughs> it was like, there was like a, like a, like a wall that just dropped down and, and it, it, Uranus can turn actually very cold because it just gets, you know, it, it just, something just clicks and then it's just, you know, and, and then that's it. And so there's, there's that instability component. And so what I've had to learn with over time, because not only do I have this on my ascendant and then I play this role for other people, or at least I did in the past, you know, it trines my sun, it sextiles my moon exactly. So it's very in there. And so I've had to learn that I personally, because we have to remember that our chart, we can get everything that we need to know about our own relationship status or, you know, how we operate from our own chart. We don't even need anybody else's. Other people's adds to it. However, it's all in there. So I had to learn for myself that, um, I go hot and cold and, and I have to be patient. I have to be patient. I have to have someone that appreciate, you know, that <laughs> understands that as well. And so luckily over time I've had that. So that's my Uranus experience. But, um, 
I mean, what do you think about that? Or what, what's your Pluto experience like? I, I completely agree with you on the Uranus experience. I've had a lot of my clients that had Uranus on the ascendant or uh, Uranus on the descendant or mm-hmm. AC, IC, and on the angles, Uranus, really. Yeah. So, and they've always kind of, that's their story more like, not exactly like that, but it's kind of the same algorithm. Like, you know, I'm hot and cold. I like the person, but then I don't know what happens when I'm next to them. I'm in my head or I can't really like, you know, I, I want to be on another thing when I'm there. And I'm like, you know, you just need a lot of, you have, you need a lot of electricity, electricity, you know, a lot of electricity runs through you. So, you know, you, you do need to find someone that is going to understand that. But sometimes, you know, it takes a certain, um, age, maturity, experience for the person to realize that. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be until the person has their Saturn return. They can have a very Saturnian experience even without that energy where they learn kind of what is it that they really need from another person to actually keep them, you know, uh, I would say secure. Secure to some degree where they don't feel like they're, they're too bound, where they can do what they want to do even though they have this connection, mental connection with this other person. Because with Uranus energy, it can't just be physical. Um, and they, they, do, they do need to, to, to kind of roam. When I say roam, it's not being unfaithful or being promiscuous. When I say roam, it's do their own fucking thing. And don't ask them what they're doing. You know, <laughs> let them go. And they'll text you. Trust me, they'll contact you because they're Uranian. They'll use their phone or their connections to, you know, or send a, a, you know, a telepathic message to you like, hey, I'm good. I'll contact you in two days. This is just Iranian people. And if you're with a person that's like that, you really do got to just give them their space. The worst thing for Iranian person is suffocation by relationship. They will leave quicker than anything um, I found in, the, uh, in my uh, just observation of Uranus. Right now, I'm actually having Uranus transiting that little, that little seventh house. So it's coming up. So I'm like, oh man, I got to get ready. I got to get ready. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I'm also thinking about the fact that I have Uranus in the second house. So as it transits my seventh, everything that I value, how I look at it is I need to find ways to build relationships now with this Uranian energy now in the relationships that are going to be coming to me, you know, because it's going to have to be things that I value. If it's relationships that don't, that I don't see any value there, I, I don't, I don't hold it at all. I just let it go. Uh, because Uranus is in my second. So it's, it's what I value. I, I value this energy coming to me in my relationship. So if people come Uranian, you see, you're Uranus native, you know, ascendant. You're a person we met through astrology. This is kind of a connection to the outer planets. I, I find this is what's so unique to me about the outer planets because they connect you to other worlds, to other people, other trends, other, other just everything to the point where it allows you to open your mind whether you want to or not. It gives you the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Um, Pluto on the ascended native, so there's a lot of money, power, respect in my in my field. I attract a lot of Plutonian, Plutonian energy people. If not Plutonian, Taurian energy people. Very money. Money is the root of everything. A lot of times for the mm. people I meet, sex, drugs, and alcohol is the root of it. A lot of times people I meet, um, Pluto's very deep. So I'm always having to assess my psychological. Uh, um, mind like why am I attracting these natives you know a lot of times too with my clients that have put on the ascendant we spend a lot of time alone which I've done in my life too we need that for the osmosis to happen for a lot of you know that, that regenerational energy to come a lot of times with the Pluto on the ascendant native or Pluto on the cusp of any of those houses uh 
uh, the angles, excuse me, you will have a very serious situation happen sometimes in relationships with other people, Plutonian, you know, kind of vibration. Because when you look at it on the cusp, it's Pluto opposite Venus. If you look at it on the bottom, it's Pluto opposite Saturn. If you look at it on the relationship, it's Pluto opposite Mars. So it's, and then on the top, it's Pluto opposite Moon. So there's always this, you know, this energy you're having to kind of work with when you have Pluto on the angles. Mm-hmm. So I find people with Pluto on the, uh, on the ascendant, and also for myself, um, psychology works very well. Um, psychotherapy is very good. Reading about um, just um, a lot of ways to deal with understanding the mind, how the mind functions is very important for Pluto on the first house native. And understanding relationship dynamics, I think, is very, very important because there's such a, a depth to the Pluto in relationship that they need to understand that sometimes not everyone can go that deep with them. But they will attract people, I feel, that will, um, depending on the, you know, the situation that they're in or the, whatever patterns that they're having, I do feel like a Pluto uh, on, the, on the cusp natives are, not on the cusp, excuse me, on the um, angles do need to learn a lot about psychology. I really, I don't know why that for me is very important. Even if you don't become a psychologist, read about it, learn up, you know, read some articles um, and also to learn about sexuality. Sexuality is very important for Pluto uh, on the Ascendant. Your sexuality is a very strong core energy for you. So that has to be used in a creative way. If you're not creating meaning, sometimes to my Pluto natives, they tell me, I need to have sex every day. Or I need to work out every day, or I need to masturbate every day, or I need to physically create something, or there's a, an intense passion they have about something. Like there's something that they, they just really love with a strong Plutonian energy that they put a lot of their focus on to the point where it's like obsess, obsession, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I do think that uh, they do need um, to understand and learn balance because Libra is the sign, you know, after that energy, that Plutonian energy. So they do need to learn balance. When, when is it too much? You know, when do I need to take a walk, go outside, <laughs> you know, do some yoga because it's really good for Plutonian energy, you know, uh, to release that Kundalini a little bit. If not, so that way you don't always attract sexual energy to you all the time. It's more like, it's more calm, you know? Yeah. Cause there's yeah. a, that's, it's a very magnetic quality, especially for you having it with a Scorpio rising. That's like you, your magnet is like this pole that <laughs> can yeah. draw in all types of things. Yeah. But what <laughs> I was noticing is that you're basically saying all those scenarios is that there needs to be, because of that obsession and that intensity, there mm-hmm. needs to be release. There just has to be release because it'll just build up with such intensity yeah. that um, it can then blow in some way um, and then uh, miss misfire or misfunction um and in a, in a way that might not be healthy because it hasn't had that outlet to do so and so yeah no i find that i do find that uh natives uh we're talking about outer planets i do find that the male natives with uh maybe like a mars and scorpio type of dynamic you know we're talking about so i'll say maybe a mars and pisces native man mars and scorpio and a mars and aquarius native men. These are the outer planets energies here when you're Mars in this dynamic. So your sexual function, you know, the way that that man needs to release, you know, especially a Mars in Scorpio, that that Plutonian energy, that release needs to come. And that's usually from intimacy, like real intimacy of Mars and Scorpio man, no matter how promiscuous he may be, 
depending if there's an outer planet of Uranus, is there again still, I do feel like all these energies can be grounded. It depends on the maturity level of the native and their awareness on what's really happening, why they're doing this. This is why for Plutonian natives, like I said, it's very important to understand the psychology. Why am I so, you know, eager to release all the time? What's happening? Maybe you need to create something. Uh, Plutonian energy is all about creating and then destroying, you know? So, uh, you know, finding even like, Taking a you know a hammer and then destroying something that's Plutonian energy. You're 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 releasing that energy in a way of destruction, but it's still it's you controlling it. You know, uh, I do find with Mars and Aquarius uh, men uh, that energy has to come out mental. You know, it's a mental energy. That's that Iranian energy conversation, maybe reading, uh, listening to lectures, things like that. They need to see that that energy. And the Mars and Pisces men, those are the Neptunians. I find these men to be very, they need to feel. Mm-hmm. They need to feel that you care, or they need to feel that they're cared for, or they need to feel like what they're doing is uh, not just um, for one thing, but it's for everything. You know, like, and this is why those men tend to be very scattered. Sometimes you find them like doing a lot of things at once, Mars more so, but I feel like that's just what their energy needs more. Um, what are your take on on the woman on the woman with the Venetian energy of the outer planets more so? Well, when I think of outer planets, see, I'm mostly thinking about conjunctions, um, mm-hmm. or you know, uh, because I mean, I use traditional rulers, so I don't quite subscribe to the idea of things. But I liked what you're saying, how you're putting the the Mars and Scorp- or Scorpio, the Mars and Aquarius, Mars mm-hmm. and Pisces. That was all dead on. Um, but, you know, I, I've seen, cause I've looked at, we've all looked at a bunch of charts, but I notice a lot of times, um, uh, Venus Pluto contacts um. Um, to, to women, uh, <laughs> or, or vice versa in there. And, and it, it's, it's rough because I mean, Venus just by its own principle because Mars, okay. Venus gives, right. That's like the, the idea it gives, it, it takes in Mars takes, Mars just takes and takes. <laughs> like that's just the nature of it. Where Venus just gives and gives. And so when there's Venus contacts, especially for women that are maybe contacting these outer planets in their own chart or in the chart of you know synastry with another person, um, there is this that element of giving and giving to some extent. But it's met with these out external forces, like with Pluto, like maybe giving so much or only giving in ways if if you know, manipulating uh, the situation, like only, you know, kind of sexual manipulation at that point or being manipulated by someone, but you desire it so much that you're willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And, um, and then same with Uranus. I've seen Venus Uranus contacts for people. And then, you know, there's that instability uh, once again. And so you desire this, it excites you, but at the same time, you know, you're being awakened to something within your own Venusian desire. However, you know, it's, it's unstable. And that's the thing is with all these like outer planet contacts is that if you don't have these in synastry with other people, you're not going to remember that relationship. You know, like you started out, you started out, the first thing you said was like the lesson component within it all. Because, you know, these outer planets are trying to evolve us in these different ways. And so when we have the connection uh, with the relationship, or if we have it in our natal chart, because that's how we need to evolve through connection or through our own processes, you know, this is this 
larger evolutionary uh, sphere. And so, you know, Uranus can give us that revelation and awaken us, but it can also, um, you know, create situations where our Venus is shocked or rejected in some way. Um, or same with Neptune, because we haven't really talked about Neptune, because Neptune puts those rose-colored glasses on and things can get quite ideal. Um, and so we're inspired by another and we're like, caught into their glamour and like they light up to us. But at the same time is like, that can be confusing or uh, can even be deception in some way because we're not quite seeing it as clearly. And so here's Venus, you know, opening up and being, uh, you know, taking it all in because Mars takes Venus takes it in. And so, um, and then put Pluto on that. Like we said before, you know, it, it gives that intense drive and you're so magnetically attracted. But at the same time, then, it, you know, there's power struggles, there's mm-hmm. control and dominance issues and, you know, the, the whole manipulation. And so it really comes into uh, over time, I think just maturity and like real quick with the p- component about uh, when I was talking about Uranus earlier, me on descendant there, I will note that my longest relationship, which I'm currently in started when I was having Saturn return to my ascendant where my Uranus is. So Saturn mm. was like, okay, well, you want this thing. You want something long-term for yourself. Because whenever something hits your first house, it's hitting seventh house. You hit some, your seventh house, it's in your first. Your relationships change, you change. You change, your relationships change. That's just what happens. And so I found that Saturn component coming in to kind of stabilize my Uranus component allowed me to get into this uh, relationship. Um, yeah, anyways, <laughs> what do you think, Akilah? <laughs> no, I totally agree with that. Um, I think that Saturn, I mean, we talk about, you know, Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto, but I do, you know, I, I do always involve Saturn and, uh, and Jupiter as outer planet transits too, because uh, I definitely had experience with clients when Jupiter's transiting their seven, they're divorcing, you know? Mm-hmm relationship that they knew probably was not working for a while, but they were trying to, you know, make it work. And Jupiter ran through that first, that seventh house or that first house. And the person saw themselves differently. They were like, I need better than this. I I deserve better than this. And they leave. Or, you know, when uh, Saturn is, like you said, transiting that first or that seventh, it, it is really about, you know, it's time for you to commit to something and someone. What do you want? You know what I mean? Like, it is about that change and that real reality change. Not like, oh, fairy tale, la, la, la. No, like, grounded. You're going to see, you know, the, 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 the nitty, the gritty, the everything of this person. Are you ready? You know, and this person is going to see that of you. Are you ready? You yeah. Know, that's um, so I do feel like those planets help a lot, too, with, you know, Neptune and Uranus and Pluto. But I do find when relationships, like you, like you said, the Pluto and uh, Venus uh, conjunction, that's a tough one for a lot of people. They don't know how to even deal with that energy because it's so intense. And oh, excuse me, my like, French accent is coming up. But <laughs> even had a client, he just stays away from relationships because he has a Venus-Pluto conjunction because he just doesn't, he really just doesn't know. He's like, I, you know, to the point where, you know, he'd rather pay for it. You know, Venus-Pluto. You know, he'd rather just, I'd rather just spend, not that he, he loves women. It's not like he's, you know, for him, he's like, I want a relationship. He's just scared to be in one. And then you have that, you know, Venus Uranus person where they're in a relationship with the person's long distance. You know, it's on the internet. They don't have to bother. They don't have to physically see the person. They can just 
you know, and then you have the Neptune one where the person is in a whole nother marriage, you know, Venus Neptune, or it's just like, oh, oh, he said he's going to leave his wife or she said he's, you know what I mean? And they're just living in the dream world or whatever the case may be. Other planets do cause you to look a little bit like haywire. You know, you do things you're not expected to do sometimes. And it kind of causes you to kind of think like, why did I do that? And why do I need that from this person? So it causes you, if you're a self-aware person, you're consciously asking yourself questions, you then start realizing maybe this relationship isn't for me or maybe I need this in my relationship. How do I talk to my partner to involve, to help us, you know, involve this in our relationships and things like that. Um, I wanted to actually bring up a point really quick regarding relationships. And that is when um, transits happen, when outer planets go into personal houses for people. So, you know, the personal houses are like, you know, when these transits are happening, like right now you're having Saturn, like you said, your longest relationship is when Saturn hit that personal house. Mm -hmm. And that's an outer planet. You know, hitting those personal houses, that's the first, the third, the second, the third, the fourth. When you have outer planets transiting those houses, you're going to have outer planet experiences happening in your personal life. You know, like it's just what it is. Like you just have to integrate it and you have to find ways to do that. You know, for me, I had an outer planet transit and I had to learn how to use technology different. It was a Uranus transit. I was like, damn. And I was being, it was like, even though I was trying to stop not, you know, learning it, Everywhere I went, I was blocked where I had to use a computer to do this. I had to, it was like, you can't hide this. You can't, this stuff is not going to escape you. You think you're going to escape, oh, I left this person because I don't want to deal with this energy, but now I'm with this next person. The next person (laughs) is probably going to knock that energy times 10. And then you're going to be like, shit, how the hell? Why am I trying to do all these crazy people? And then you're going to be, oh, those people are crazy. I'm not crazy. You know, they become this whole, I feel like outer planet transits, when they come to your personal houses, it really is time to assess things on an objective level. Mm. To really try to be objective. Get a point of view from somebody that you know is objective, that you trust, you know? Talk to somebody that you feel that, you know, has really good advice or things like that when outer planets are in personal. And then I want to talk about when, uh, you know, these personal, uh, these personal planets transit to these outer planets. Um, and if you have aspects to these outer planets, what that is all about, Usually it's talking about something coming to you that you probably want in a relationship, something that you need in a relationship or something that's going to excite the relationship or give the relationship a shake or give you a shake with the relationship that can actually help you understand, oh, this is what I needed. Because you can have a Venus conjunct Uranus transit and Venus is returning and you finally figure out something. You're like, oh shit, that's, that's what I needed in this relationship the whole time. I just needed a new microphone to talk to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Like, it's that, it's that simple, you know? But uh, astrology doesn't have to be very hard in relationships. You know, if you're an outer planet person in a relationship, what, your needs are different. Uh, you're, you're not going to fit the norm, but you do need to find something in this world that that energy can be exuded, you know, with, it's, like you said, the Scorpio with the release. Uranus, it's, it's electricity, and Neptune, it's the nebulousness. So, you know, think about those words and what, what, you know, around your environment can give you that kind of energy too. Cause you're not, your relationship is not going to give you all that energy 100% of the time. Mm-mm. You're going to get bored. If you're an outer planet person and you're thinking that relationship is going to give you that feeling all the time. So you do need to find it in other ways. You know, you need your own life. If you have outer planets and you're in relationship, your own life. Unless you're Pluto and Scorpio uh, native, uh, Pluto and Venus native, that right there, take some time alone first, then go into relationships. You know what I mean? Those, 
would say that yeah. for those people, okay? Like, learn what you like. Le- actually, learn what you love if you're a Pluto and Venus name. Learn what you love before you get into a relationship. Yeah, because it's always helpful to know what you want, right? Yeah, and like, that's the thing. It's like when you're, you know, because we are essentially creating much of our reality through our desires and our wants and our thoughts and, you know, all these things put together. And if we're not consciously co-creating what it is that we would like to uh, encounter or aware of ourselves enough and our own desires and those second house things, like you were saying with the the worth and what it is we value, you know, Mm -hmm. the universe is going to sneak some people in there that are going to question that or they're going to be like, Oh, surprise. Well, this is here because you uh, just need to interact with this so that you can come to terms with that. And if people don't have that, uh, you know, independent bent or even the interdependence, they can get caught up in relationship after relationship, like you just said, and you're seeing the same patterns and you're just finding, you know, a bigger, badder wolf than the one before because it's trying to teach you something. And a lot of times what that lesson is, is something that can only become became to uh, internally and in kind of that um, hermit, like, let me question, let me ask my heart kind of space. Mm-hmm. No one else has the answers, you know? Um, and we're, <laughs> you know, it's like, like you're, you're your own vessel and like we're always con- contacting everyone outside of us because we're all connected as we know, but there is that individual that needs to be clear on what it is it desires, needs to be clear on what its boundaries are, what it will stand for, um, and then go from there, basically, <laughs> once that is put out there. Because otherwise, those, like you said, those patterns are just going to repeat, repeat, repeat until it's done. And like, I really want to emphasize here that it is not just, this is not just about romantic relationships, because if you always find yourself in situations with friends or with groups or, um, with, uh, your father figure or with, you know, a, a boss figure, a boss figure, that's a good one. You can see a lot of outer planet contacts that happen there. Um, yeah. relationships are teaching us about ourselves as well. So that's important too, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't talk about too much about Neptune. Let's talk, let's talk about Neptune a little bit. Yeah, let's do that. Um, I do find that Neptune is actually a very beautiful combination. I really do think that um, a lot of beautiful souls come in with uh, Neptune, either conjunct uh, personal planets or relationship planets, uh, or even the asteroids I do find. I have a Neptune conjunct Cirrus um, conjunction in my chart. And I literally, uh, I've been fed by, I think, every nationality I can think of. When I say food, I mean food. And it, I love food from every different nationality. But I also find that Neptune is forgiving. And it, um, it's able to see the person's flaws in relationship and still love them. Mm. It's able to also see a lot of people's flaws yeah. in their relationship. With mo- mother, father, I, I do find these people are very light in in living in their living space uh, my mother has a neptune venus con- con- uh, conjunction in libra and i've never i think i've seen my mother mad one time in my whole life she will find other ways to put beauty around her you know she uh she decorates the house she's a virgo she decorates the house she puts flowers in vases she doesn't she even told me one day she says i find another way to channel my energy because it's a waste of time for me to do it uh, that way. And that's, that's such a Neptune to me and Venus com- combo. Um, but I also do find that unfortunately, sometimes these, these are the people that are the doormats in relationships and they're used or abused and people take advantage of them because they feel like the person is naive and stupid 
or the person is slow, or the person doesn't see things the same way. When it's not really that, it's just they're seeing from a higher vibration. You know, they're 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 able to see your essence more so and see your flaws. And they really do channel energy a different way. I do find that these people are very artistic, creative, musical, um, musically inspired uh, lights, colors, beauty appeal to them a lot too. But when I say beauty, I don't mean like, oh, you have to be beautiful. Where I mean, they just appreciate aesthetics. They appreciate um, the finer things, soft music or, you know, the, I, I really enjoy Neptunian energy because it does put you in a, in a state where you feel like you can just be yourself with this person. The other thing, though, is there's a reverse where, where it comes to the Neptunian energy and that's, you know, when they kind of disappear on you. Mm. Where they give you all of this energy and then they take it away. This is the thing I've noticed a lot about Neptunian energy because it does need uh, a lot of time kind of in, in, in its own world, its own universe still sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. So people will tell me that they find that their lovers are always gazing or not there sometimes or daydreaming or, and I'm like, but they need to do that. You know, or they or their television. They watch TV a lot, or or a lot of you know sitcoms, or you know telenovelas, stuff like that. You know what I mean? They're just always on. They want it. They always want to be on some higher platform or higher platform. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. There, there's escape element. <laughs> yeah, there's always there's always this you know maybe a narcotic or a drug or an alcohol or something that needs to be in their system. And I feel like these kind of natives though are people that, that have not yet been able to channel that love like for self, you know, mm-hmm. yet yeah, they, they're still working on how do I feed this energy that's so immense and enormous inside of me. I want to give it to myself. I want to give it to these people, but they don't know how to, maybe the energy's blocked. Maybe this is Saturnian energy going on there too. Uh, with the Neptune, you never know, especially with a lot of the natives that came in in the 1980s, late eighties and uh, early nineties. Mm-hmm. I know generation we had that conjunction of neptune uranus and saturn a lot of the natives that i've had readings with that had this great conjunction you guys are probably in your late 20s early 30s now this conjunction is like um intense because they have to find a way to release all three energy through saturn mm-hmm. so i do think that sometimes with the neptune uh, natives you have a saturn aspect where there's saturn happening saturn is there in that chart the body is the way you need to release it the body Okay, not not the dream world. The body, the body world is going to help you do something with the body. Uh, martial arts works very well with that too, or any type of dancing. I find with Neptune and Saturn, music helps really well. And if you're Neptune, you know they they like musicians a lot too. I find Neptune or people <laughs> in the spotlight or people that are glamorous or people that that make them feel like they are seen because they don't always feel like they're seen too. Sometimes these Neptune. Yes. People, they don't feel like people see them. And when someone, I, I do find, and I'm a Pluto uh, on the ascendant native. When I meet a Neptune native ascendant or on, on the cusp or on the angles, they always tell me, I feel like you see me. I feel like you can see me. Like you, you see me. Like you even, you know, I, you can see, even though I'm really happy, there's something else going on. Like I can always pin, penetrate through a Neptunian energy. It's I have Mercury conjunct Pluto too, right on the ascendant. So I'm very, you know, with Neptunian people, I can, and I have Neptune conjunct my Saturn, conjunct my Uranus. It's, 
I, I'm, I, this energy is very, I, I know it. So it's, I can read it on another person as well. But I do think that these people need an outlet, painting, drawing, writing, singing, um, something where they feel one with nature, hiking, uh, swimming, boating, whatever your money, you don't even have to pay for it if you're a Neptune uh, uh, native. You, you need to, it could be free. You know, it can just yeah. be a walk in the park. You know, you need or earthing yourself, taking off your shoes and feeling the ground. You need these energies around you. Bubble baths, you know, you, you, if you don't have bubble bath, if you don't have bubble soap, use the soap detergent in the kitchen. You, you know what I mean? Like do something with yourself, light candles or something. You, they need that. They need that. They don't understand how much they need. They need fine nuances around them every once in a while. Their energy kind of like, just, just, just earth, you know, mm-hmm. more so. Yeah. yeah, especially for those, especially for those Neptune Capricorn people like yourself. Like yeah. I would definitely, because I have Neptune in Sagittarius, which is a little bit different, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a different energy for sure. Uh, it could still welcome some grounding and some earthing. Don't get me wrong. It definitely needs that. But I love what you're saying because those are great for people that have, um, you know, these planets um, conjuncting Neptune in their chart or having Neptune on an angle that makes it more prominent. But it, when you were speaking, it made me think, of uh, just Neptune by sinistry, and especially with Venus, um, because I have a, like a particular story that uh, I had a uh, an ex boyfriend of mine from way back in the day, which we had some. <laughs> The whole story, I'm not going to give it all because it would take too long, but uh, it was a weird back and forth to even start the relationship to begin with. So we'll say that it started with him absolutely hating me, but that was another thing. Um, but so. I, you know, I dated this person, you know, we moved to college together. We were together for a couple of years, not too long, you know, right? But in his chart, uh, he had Venus in Virgo square my, um, my Neptune sad in Sagittarius. And so, you know, we, we broke up in probably not the best of ways. Uh, you know, my Uranus was definitely doing its thing. Um, and but we remained friends and we knew each other kind of growing up a little bit. And then, you know, a decade later, he becomes quite prominent in his field. Um, he's a computer engineer, you know, he's very successful in life. And he'd always like come back, he'd check up with me in the email and he'd always kind of like, he was like really holding out. He was holding out for this illusion because my Neptune in some way had intoxicated his chart, you know? (laughs) And so he held me in this regard or this vision, or, you know, I had this, you know, elevated pedestal to stand upon that really wasn't me. And, and, but he kept me with that. And so, you know, that was all cool. We were fine. And then not even that long ago, I was like, I reached out because I was like, honestly, like, we actually have a lot in common and I, we were friends growing up and I just kind of wanted to see how he was doing. And so he was all excited to talk to me. And I was like, great, okay, let's have a little conversation, catch up, you know. And so we started to talk and, um, you know, about 30 minutes into the conversation, uh, you know, we started, I was talking about, you know, my significant other and that, and something switched inside of him because he had gotten the call completely wrong. Like I had just wanted to catch up. That's, you know, it, it, we're looking at like 20 years now. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, um, And this is how the conversation ended. He got incredibly mad with me on the spot. And 
basically started telling me all these things that were wrong about myself or like, you need to do this. And like, like, I, you know, and 20 years has passed. I'm like, you don't even know who you're talking to basically. And then his last words were like, don't call me again unless you want to get married. And he hung up on me. Who says that? Who says? <laughs> and so I immediately I looked it up and that's when I actually looked at his chart for the first time. And I was like, oh, that Venus Neptune. He's had a vision of this person who he thought I was for so long and can continue that for like two decades. I was very impressive. And so I felt that that phone call that I was just kind of very Uranian, like out of the blue, I'm like, oh, let's go. I think he needed that for whatever reason that was so that he could like, you know, just exit. Exit. And see the illusion for what it is, you know? And so, yeah, that's my, that's my Neptune story. Bless his heart, you know, I don't wish him bad at all. But that was a, that was a shocking experience to me because I was like, really, what? <laughs> yeah, so Neptune. This is how, uh, this is how um, nebulous Neptune is. I was in a relationship industry with someone that had Neptune conjunct my son by like a degree. And it was really interesting relationship because I swear I can feel the person and the person can feel me. I felt like I was the person, the person felt like they were me. On top of it, the person had their ascendant hitting my son. Mm. So it was very, it was a very interesting. So it was Neptune on the ascendant conjunct my son. Uh, so it's Neptune and the ascendant conjuncting my son. It was a lot happening in that relationship. But um, like till this day, I can still feel like dreams, like if the person thinks or feels. I can like I can look at my phone and know okay that person's gonna send me and it literally happens just because of the connection that Neptune has. With, mm-hmm. uh, it's just it, you can't really explain the energy. It's something that's just beyond us. It's dream energy, you know, and that's the subconscious. That's the thing. That's the part of the brain we can't get to yet, you know. Yeah. Until maybe in the future we'll have more information about Neptune through brain research or subconscious brain research. But for now, I feel like it's just nebulous. That's what it is. Yeah. Know? No, it's, it's, it's interesting energy. Um, and it can be dreamy. Like you you can see couples that have like a, a good synastry between Neptune and maybe Venus or the moon or, you know, these per, personal planets and they're, they're intoxicated with each other. These are the couples that are like holding hands when they're like 85 because that, you know, and especially, you know, uh, before our time, but you know, the baby boomers were all born with uh, Neptune in Libra, which mm-hmm. is very, you know, like very fairy tale type of energy. And probably why uh, the divorce rates were so high in the 70s because they're like, oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> well, I got tricked by Neptune in Libra. Um, no, but you know what I mean? Like, it, it, there's extra pressure within this kind of fairy tale Disney type of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, with Neptune and Libra. But I do want to point out real quick, because you fall into this with your your generation, you know, especially the late 80s, early 90s mm-hmm. for people like me. So here I have a mid-Scorpio rising, right? With Uranus there. And so yeah. I encounter a lot of people around your age um, and, and some people that I was creatively uh, active with uh, that basically were born all with Pluto in mid-degrees of Scorpio. So mm-hmm. 
for like me, you know, a whole generation of you folks come along and you, all of you contact, you're giving me Pluto contacts mm-hmm. uh, to my ascendant and my Uranus, um, which uh, has been very good in some ways. And then other ways has been very challenging for me. <laughs> um, so there is that generational tie in too, because yeah. if you keep meeting people that are around the same age and they just have that outer planet that just happens to connect one with a personal point of yours, um, you know, no matter who you're going to meet, if they're in that same age range, they're going to have that same placement, mm-hmm. generational mm-hmm. thing. So I found For that sure. interesting. <laughs> I definitely agree with you. I have been like now, um, I have Uranus in Sagittarius and I'm now meeting the Pluto in Sagittarius generation. They're coming to me, actually. They're the ones that want readings from me the most. They think I'm freaking awesome. They're like, ah, oh, because I have Uranus and Sag, you know, and that's the internet kind of gadget. Mm-hmm. So they see me through that. They're like, oh, she kind of has the answers for me. But I also look at it because I also have Saturn in uh, Capricorn, Neptune in uh, Capricorn also. And they all, they're really all, they're really close together. Like they're probably apart by like maybe three degrees, if not each of them. Uh, so I have a lot of people reaching out even from, um, the Saturn and uh, Capricorn generation that they're now experiencing their Capra, uh, their second Saturn return. I have a lot of those clients coming to me because I have Neptune conjunct Saturn in Capricorn. Uh, so they told me they've learned a lot about what has been happening in their lives, even you know before they knew about astrology and everything. They you know they're just now learning about themselves in this way. Uh, and I and I have a lot of uh, Chiron natives actually, Chiron return natives that come to me mm-hmm. because I have in the eighth house so i tend to be very healing for chiron people like uh chiron return people things like that um but that's another topic chiron. that's a whole other topic but a good one because i i resonate yeah. with that i definitely get a lot of chiron returns um and i have yeah. chiron on my descendant so oh, wow yeah so i'm a natural like come to me with your chiron <laughs> Let's talk about, um, but yeah, and, and Chiron is a big factor too, and, and it, it really almost deserves its own episode with <laughs> relationships. And uh, I definitely Chiron. think about uh, Chiron conjunction of planets. Chiron is just very important. I've just had a lot of natives lately had some experience with Chiron. I'm really fascinated by Chiron, to be very honest with you, so we should definitely do that. I'm down next time. All right. That's our, okay, we're putting that on ice, which is very Chiron. <laughs> to put something on ice to bring it back later. So we're going to do that and uh, we'll come back with a relationships, uh, relationships in Chiron. (laughs) Um, So I mean, (laughs) so through all this, you know, um, I mean, what, what's your advice, Akila? What advice would you say when you're working with outer planet matchups, either in your own chart or with other people? Is there any type of kind of takeaways, (laughs) quick takeaways? Yeah, I would say if you're dealing with outer planet relationships, whether it's romantic or personal or professional, um, you should always think about it uh, like a book you've never read before <laughs> because you're going to be surprised. You're going to have to open different uh, energy fields that you probably have not been able to have access to yet. And maybe these people are coming in and uh, kind of uh, igniting that. So give yourself time with outer planet transits because they do take a long time transit and they do take a long time for development so take time uh don't be hard on yourself with these planets uh, use the adjectives of the planets uh, neptune nebulous uh uranus is electricity and pluto is psychology psychology your psychological makeup use those adjectives when you have to deal with uh your outer planet transits 
you can just put those to your relationships that you're having and see why am I having, why am I attracting this? It can help you. And then also use that, uh, those adjectives to um, kind of have activities that you can do to at least allow the energy. If it's not a relationship that you're in, you're just having the transit uh, and you just need, uh, you alone need to physically like release the energy or uh, allow the energy to like, be properly used by your energy field. Use those adjectives as well. So like for Neptune swimming, uh, for Uranus, learn computer classes or something, or, you know, start a podcast. Contact Melissa. <laughs> oh. Contact Akira for astrology reading. Uranus can also be astrology readings, you know, getting another take on on something, objective uh, point of view of yourself. Mm-hmm. And with Pluto, it can be reading a psychology book, you know, or even watching, you know, I don't know, documentaries about sex, you know, se- you know sex documentaries or, or documentaries about power, even. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's really all I have to say. I want to thank Melissa again for having me and also having me talk about, allowing me to talk about this subject. I really love relationships. So, thank uh, you. Yes, which I'm yeah. glad you do because... <laughs> Because it's not what I gravitate to. So I was very welcome to you suggesting the topic. And so I was excited. You know, we're all driven by relationships, right? So, I mean, to some extent, you know, we're interacting with people every day of our lives, unless you're living on top of a mountain somewhere. And even then, I'm sure someone will find you. So we got to know how to, uh, because we're just living a life where we are just essentially reacting and responding to the stimulus that is outside of us. And that's what relationships is, is it's a stimulating factor and we can either reinforce the stimulation, we can help, uh, you know, find a harmony within it, or it's something that counteracts our own, our own balance and we can't find that harmony. And so we just have to work with Within those things and those outer planets uh, and how we started this whole thing is really that that evolutionary cycle. Um, and yep. so it, it serves a purpose, I guess is what I'm saying. It serves a purpose, especially if you get lost in it, you find yourself shocked or you find yourself disoriented or you find yourself like intensely like, what the hell is going on here? You know, give the patience. I love how you said, give it some time. Time is crucial. And, yeah. um, and find the lesson, find the lesson within it because yeah. it's, it's a valuable one, I'm sure. <laughs> so, all right, Akila, where can people find you? What do you got going on? Oh, definitely check out my website, akilaastrology.com. Uh, that's online. You can find my services on my website. You can find me on YouTube. I have a podcast where I talk about uh, astrology, tarot. Um, it's Akila Astrology. You can also find me on Instagram at Akila Astrology. It's a little bit more personal on Instagram. I post more about like uh, astrological um, transits, but also to you get to kind of see how I am personally if you want to get that kind of vibration before you book that reading with me. <laughs> um, or you can also email me at akilaastrology at gmail.com if you uh, want to figure out or ask questions more about uh, just energy or just uh, about this relationship um, podcast that me and Lisa just did. Yes. That's on my social medias and my contacts. Thanks again, Melissa. Perfect. Oh, you're very welcome. I always enjoy talking with Akila. And of course, I'm going to share all the information that she just shared on my blog post so you know how to uh, 
get to her. And so you can find me over at energeticprinciples.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Energetic Principles as well. And of course, I have my Patreon uh, if you want to support the podcast. And I have my new Astro Storytime uh, program that is coming out as a Patreon exclusive this week. Uh, It's only $6 a month. So consider signing up for that. Um, Or if you want to get show notes for this program uh, for the forecast. So you can find that over at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. Um, And of course, if you think people need to hear about relationships and outer planets, uh, which we are probably saying that they do, you know, you're going to want to share this with a friend, spread the good word, uh, leave a nice review wherever you listen to this podcast, because that helps, you know, get the word out there and for uh, things to be seen. And of course, if you want to make a one-time donation, I always have my tip jar on my page there. So, all right, Akila. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you as always. Thank you again. Thank you, Melissa. Bye, guys. All right, everyone. And thank you for tuning in. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm -hmm.